What is a summertime patriot? Y'all heard me use this term many times. A summertime patriot is someone who is willing to stand up for what's right and willing to take pride in their nation and stand for the rights and liberties and freedoms that we were granted just because we were born here. When it's easy. When it's popular. When it's fun. When it's cool. There are people that talk a good talk, but they do not walk a walk. When shit gets hard, they run. When it's time to make that hard call and say that hard thing. Well, it's don't rock a boat, don't cause drama. Well, surely it can't be that bad. Well, come on. They'll be better than that, won't they? And they sit there and they do nothing. And we've all been guilty of it for far too long. It's how we got to this particular part. Wake up! These are the times the dry man's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot, will in this time of crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands by deserves the love and thanks of men and women. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What obtained too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. We seek fellow winter soldiers, because unlike the sunshine patriots, we stand by our country. Through thick and thin, doing whatever it takes to serve it, including exposing the crimes of those in government, in order to steer it back to the right track. Let it be told that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country, alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet and to repulse it. The term winter soldier is contrast of the summer patriot, who deserted at Valley Ford because things got hard. We were drawing the blood red line, have to be the winter soldiers now. We could be quiet. We could comply and live peaceful lives, but we feel because of what threatens this country, the medical tyranny, the silencing of dissenting voices, not from foreign nations, but our own government, it is why we must speak and stand. Remember the final line of the declaration that we mutually pledged each other, our lives, our fortunes, and our secret honor. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. It must be fought for, protected, for if trouble must come, let it come in our time, so that our children can live. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of Winter's Call Podcast. I'm Odin. This is Tia. And we're joined by a wild Gigi in a natural habitat. How you doing, sweetheart? What up, bitches? (laughs) Ha ha, there we go. They're multiplying. I know. What the? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they got busy with it. Now there's, there's two. two. <laughs> there's two birds. <laughs> I feel so bad because the audio people are probably like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I was giving tear the birds. Damn it. So... I need one of those. Damn it. <laughs> so. Let's talk about. The shit that really matters. Yay. So we're, we're all uh, gonna die. 
The name of the episode is Putin, Biden, and the Coming Storm. And the reason that I say that is, well, it seems like the whole world has lost its fucking mind. And we have the headlines to prove it. But for those of you who are unaware, this morning, Putin decided that he was going to go make an announcement to Russia and basically set the storm on fire. Now. I'm going to read you the transcript of the speech for those of you who don't speak Russian and for those of you who don't trust the media. Probably all good things. And uh, for obvious reason. However, I do want to point out that when he talks about the numbers of conscription. Oh, by the way, we found out, I found out why all of the planes in Moscow were grounded. Ooh. It's because... Uh, Not only is the conscription in Russia, right, for those who have military training, but he has outlawed traffic for any male 18 to 65. Shit, they're going to have Medicare recipients out on the front lines. Russia don't have Medicare. <laughs> in Russia, old men beat you. <laughs> right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, he also didn't mention the fact oh that they went God. into the prisons. He also didn't mention in his speech the 85,000 prisoners that they released in exchange to go fight in Ukraine. We covered that last week. Wait, wait, wait. So they're going to get their freedom if they go kill a bunch of enemy Ukrainians. Troops. Yeah. Hey, I like this idea. We had this idea about, you know, illegal immigrants and pedophiles. You know, alien versus predator. Yes. It's similar. Right. I like it. So they did do a prisoner exchange today uh, for good news, I guess. They did a prisoner exchange, Russia and Ukraine. The now Ukraine also included in those that they wanted. They included two American citizens who were captured and some other nations as well. So it was a total prisoner exchange. We'll give you everything you got er, that we captured of yours and you give us everything you got of ours. So, But to the Mm. speech... And I think it's important to, li- to, to know the speech because then we have to sit here and figure out uh, or then we get to sit here and try to translate uh, Biden's speech to the UN. Cause We're going to have better luck with me translating the Russian speech with no, no help from Google than we yeah. are with me trying to talk about Biden's speech. I tried watching it when you I tried watching it after you sent me the one from Putin earlier. My God, I had an aneurysm. End of quote. Again. You would think that they would just stop putting end of quote and punctuation in there because he keeps reading it. Fair. Not to mention all the mispronounced words. But I guess... It doesn't matter. Because... Right. Alright, so you ready for the speech? Yeah, let's rock and roll. All right, so here's the address by uh, President of uh, President of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Friends, 
The subject of this address is the situation in Donbass and the course of the special military operation to liberate it from the neo-Nazi regime, which seized power in Ukraine in 2014 as the result of an armed state coup. Today I'm addressing you, all citizens of our country, people of different generations, ages, and ethnicities, the people of our great motherland, and all who are united by the great historical Russia soldiers, officers, and volunteers who are fighting on the front line and doing their combat duty. Our brothers and sisters in the Donsk and Lungsk People's Republics, Kherson and Zaporizhia regions and other areas that have been liberated from the neo-Nazi regime. The issue concerns the necessary imperative messages to protect the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Russia and support the desire and will of our compatriots to choose their future independently and the aggressive policy of some Western elites who are doing their utmost to preserve their domination and win this aim in view are trying to block and suppress any sovereign and independent development centers in order to continue to aggressively force their will and pseudo values on other countries and nations. The goals of that part of the West is to weaken, divide, and ultimately destroy our country. They are saying openly now that in 1991 they managed to split up the Soviet Union and now is the time to do the same to Russia which must be divided into numerous regions that would, be a, that would be a deadly feud with each other. They advised these plans long ago. They encouraged groups of international terrorists in the caucus and moved NATO offensive infrastructure close to our borders. They used indiscriminate Russia-phobia as a weapon, including by nurturing the hatred of Russian Russia for decades, primarily in Ukraine which was designed to become an anti-Russian bridgehead. They turned the Ukrainian people into cannon fodder and pushed them into a war with Russia, which they unleashed back in 2014. They used the army against civilians and organized a genocide, blockade, and terror against those who refused to recognize the government that was created in Ukraine as a result of a state coup. After the Kiev regime publicly refused to settle the issue of Donbass peaceably and went as far as to announce its ambition to possess nuclear weapons, it became clear that a new offensive in Donbass, there were two of them before, was inevitable, and that it would be inevitably followed by an attack on Russian Crimea, that is, on Russia. In this connection, the decision to start a preemptive military operation was necessary and the only option. The main goal of this operation, which is to liberate the whole of Donbass, remains unaltered. The Lunks People Republic has been liberated from the neo-Nazis almost completely. Fighting in the Donks People's Republic continues. Over the previous eight years, the Kiev occupation regime created a deeply echelonged line of permanent defenses. A head-on attack against them would have led to heavy losses, which is why our units, as well as the forces of the Donbass republics, are acting competently and systematically, using military equipment and saving lives, moving step-by-step to liberate Donbass, purge cities and towns of the neo-Nazis, and help the people whom the Kiev regime turned into hostages and human shields. Technically question but technically they're not really neo-nazis seeing as they trace their roots all the way back to the actual nazis aren't they just 
Nazis. Yeah, as a matter of fact, they actually have new videos that came out that showed the actual Iron Cross, you know, the the black cross on the side of the vehicles. So they're actual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you know, professional military personnel serving under contract are taking part in a special military operation. Fighting side by side with them are volunteer units, people of different ethnicities, professions, and ages who are real patriots. They answered the call of their hearts to rise up in defense of Russia and Donbass. In this connection, I have already issued instructions for the government and the defense ministry to determine the legal status of volunteers and personnel of the military units of Donks and Lunks People's Republics. It must be the same as the status of military professionals of the Russian army, including material, medical, and social benefits. Special attention must be given to organizing the, the supply of military and other equipment for volunteer units and Donbass People's Militia. While acting to attain the main goals of defending Donbass in accordance with the plans and decisions of the Defense Ministry and the General Staff, our troops have liberated considerable areas in Kherson and Zephyrpraya, regions and a number of other areas. This has created a protracted line of contact that is over 1,000 kilometers long. That is why I would like to make public for the first time today. After the start of the special military operation, in particular after the Istanbul talks, Kiev representatives voiced a positive response to our proposals. These proposals concerned above all ensuring Russia's security and interest, but a peaceful settlement obviously did not suit the West, which is why after certain compromises were coordinated, Kiev was actually ordered to wreck all of these agreements. More weapons were pumped into Ukraine. The Kiev regime brought into play new groups of foreign mercenaries and nationalists, military units training, trained according to NATO standards and receiving orders from Western advisors. At the same time, the regime of reprisals throughout Ukraine against their own citizens established immediately after the armed coup in 2014 was harshly intensified. The policy of intimidation, terror, and violence is taking on increasingly mass-scale, horrific, and barbaric forms. I want to stress the following. We know that the majority of people living in the territories liberated from the neo-Nazis, and there are primarily the historical lands of Novo Russia, do not want to live under the yoke of the neo-Nazi regime. People in the Zaporia and Kherson regions and Lunks and Donks saw are, are, and are seeing now the atrocities perpetrated by the neo-Nazis in the Ukrainian-occupied areas of the Kharkov region. The descendants of Banderites and the members of Nazi punitive expeditions are killing, torturing, and imprisoning people. They are settling scores, beating up, and committing outrages on peaceful civilians. There were over 7.5 million people living in the Donks and Lunks People's Republics and in the Zaporia and Kherson regions before the outbreak of hostilities. Many of them were forced to become refugees and leave their homes. Those who have stayed, they number about 5 million and are now exposed to artillery and missile attacks launched by the neo-Nazi militants who fire at hospitals and schools and stage terrorist attacks against peaceful civilians.
We cannot. We have no moral right to let our kin and kith be torn to pieces by butchers. We cannot but respond to their sincere striving to decide their destiny on their own. The parliaments of the Donbass People's Republics and the military civilian administrations of the Kyrgyzstan and Zaporizhia regions have adopted decisions to hold referendums on the future of their territories and have appealed to Russia to support this. I would like to emphasize that we will do everything necessary to create safe conditions for these referendums so that people can express their will. And we will support the choice of future made by the majority of people in the Donks and Lanks public, People's Republics in the Zafariah and Kherson regions. Friends, today our armed forces, as I have mentioned, are fighting on the line of contact that is over 1,000 kilometers long. Fighting not only against neo-Nazi units, but actually the entire military machine of the collective West. In this situation, I consider it necessary to take the following decisions, which is fully adequate to the threats we are facing. More precisely, I find it necessary to support the proposal of the Defense Ministry and the General Staff on partial mobilization in Russia or in the Russian Federation, to defend our motherland and its sovereignty and territorial integrity, and to ensure the safety of our people and people in the liberated territories. As I have said, we are talking about partial mobilization. In other words, only military reservists, primarily those who have served in armed forces and have specific military occupational specialties and corresponding experience will be called up. Before being sent to their units, those called up for active duty will undergo mandatory additional military training based on the experience of the special military operation. I have already signed the executive order on partial mobilization. In accordance with legislation, the Houses of the Federal Assembly, the, Federal, uh, the Federation Council, and the State Duma will be officially notified about this in writing today. The mobilization will begin today, September 21st. I am instructing the heads of the regions to provide the necessary assistance to the work of military recruitment offices. I would like to point out that the citizens of Russia called up in accordance with mobilization order will have the status, payments, and all social benefits of military personnel serving under contract. Additionally, the executive order on partial mobilization also stipulates additional measures for the fulfillment of the state defense order. The head of defense industry enterprises will be directly responsible for attaining the goals of increasing the production of weapons and military equipment and using additional production facilities for this purpose. At the same time, the government must address without any delay all aspects of uh, material, resources, and financial support for our defense enterprises. The West has gone too far in its aggressive anti-Russian policy, making endless threats to our country and people. Some irresponsible Western politicians are doing more than just speak about their plans to organize the delivery of long-range offensive weapons to Ukraine, which could be used to deliver strikes at Crimea and other Russian regions. Such terrorist attacks, including the use of Western weapons, are being delivered at border areas in the Belograd and Kursk regions. NATO is conducting reconnaissance through Russian southern areas in real time and with the use of modern systems, aircrafts, vessels, satellites, and strategic zones. Washington, 
London, and Brussels are openly encouraging Kiev to move the hostilities to our area. They openly say that Russia must be defeated on the battlefield by any means and subsequently deprived of political, economic, cultural, and any other sovereignty and ransacked. They have even resorted to the nuclear, to the nuclear blackmail. I am referring not only to the Western-encouraged shelling of the Zaporia nuclear power plant, which poses the threat of nuclear disaster, but also to the statements made by some high-ranking representatives of the leading NATO countries on the possibility and admissibility of using weapons of mass destruction nuclear weapons against Russia. By the way, that's Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister of the UK and the leader of Finland. That's who he's referring to. In addition to, we have people in the United States who stay stupid shit. But they don't necessarily have power as the Prime Minister has her finger on the button and said that she looks forward to pushing the button. Ah, back to the speech. I would like to remind those who make such statements regarding Russia that our country has different types of weapons as well. And some of them are more modern than the weapons NATO countries have. In the event of a threat to the territorial, uh, territorial integrity of our country and to defend Russia and our people, we will certainly make use of all weapon systems available to us. This is not a bluff. The citizens of Russia can rest assured that the territorial integrity of our motherland, our independence and freedom will be defended. I repeat, by all the systems available to us, those who are using nuclear blackmail against us should know that the wind rose can turn around. It is our historic tradition and the destiny of our nation to stop those who are keen on global domination and threaten to split up and enslave our motherland. Rest assured that we will do it this time as well. I believe in your support. That was the speech. <coughs> Is utterly terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly! You're talking about a yeah. We're talking about a man that has nothing left to lose and everything to gain. Yeah. Well, then you have Biden at exactly. the UN accusing Russia of irresponsible nuclear threats, warning the U.S. will retaliate with a devastating strike against Russian forces if Putin uses nukes. Yeah. So, Russia uh, has decided that they're going to start using a weapon in certain areas. Apparently, they're not fucking playing no more. They have decided that they're going to use thermite rain bombs. <laughs> Thermite, flesh-eating thermite bombs raining down on a, on a Ukrainian village as a desperate Putin steps up his attack on civilians. Uh, okay. I think it's wrong, but let's be honest. We don't have any verification that it was actually Russia. Right. And considering Ukraine, oh, let's just take a walk. Oh, let's just take a walk down the rabbit hole for a second and just look at some information, right? 
let everybody draw their own conclusions. But it wasn't the Russians firing on, uh, what is it, IEH something, whatever, the, the guys that go out and actually check the, the nuclear power plant. You know who I'm talking about? IEF? IEA? Yeah, that thing. Sounds like some island yeah. in Hawaii. Anyway, so it wasn't the Russians firing yeah, them. on them. It was the Ukrainians. Yeah. It wasn't the Russians firing rocket attacks at the power plant. It was the Ukrainians. So who's who's who who who's being irresponsible? Yeah, who are we gonna blame if that thing blows up? Probably the ones throwing stones at it. Well, Ukraine attacked the nuclear power plant in Zarevsaya again and ruptured the cooling lines. So it's only a matter of time before that one goes off. Hmm. So let's go to Biden, right? Mm-hmm. Biden has decided that uh, Biden has decided that he wants to attempt to get um, has attempted to get uh, Russia kicked out of uh, ha- to try UN? to get Russia kicked out of the UN. Yeah. That, and you have, okay, so he makes this speech, right? Biden makes the speech where he just pissed off half of the world. He's just too stupid to know it, right? And then you have uh, Liz Truss, the UK, right? Mm -hmm. She says, we won't be cowed by Vladimir Putin's nuclear threats. She has to use a defiant response after she says, Russian leader is desperate and warns the West of Armageddon if he's thwarted over Ukrainian invasion. Yeah, that's how wars work. Just saying. It's insanity, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you you have to purposely be trying to get people killed at this point. What'd you say? Just fan the flames. Yeah. But China. I said, yeah, just fanning flames when you're. Uh, China has decided that maybe they need to like talk, bring the level down a little. <laughs> huh. Well, they know better. I mean, let's be honest. They sit here and they they just started the Eurasian NATO, right? The CSO. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> that Turkey joined, by the way. So that, that I guess that means that Turkey is no longer in NATO. Isn't that how that works? You can be in one but not the other? Uh, well, unless you're a fence-sitting Judas. Wow. I mean, let's be honest, Turkey's always been opportunistic. They're going to go with whoever is best for them at that moment. This is like the perfect fence sitting for them. Well, let's put it this way. They've started passing out the anti-radiation tablets in Poland now. Hundreds of Russians flee to Finland, though it's probably a little too late. Just, just, just a little bit. Yeah, probably. She's saying. 
No, what I think it is is that Turkey thinks that they become friends with China and Russia, right? That uh, Turkey thinks that they'll get land that they think is theirs back. Really? I'm just saying. It makes sense. Hey, we backed you up. Give us back the land that we think is ours. It makes sense. Not a lot, but... It kind of does, yeah. That's kind of scary, though. Right. So, here's, here's the problem, though. Is that even with... Okay, so, Russian foreign minister after the speech, right... Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Shoigu, all right, says they have the ability to recruit 25 million men. Hence why they got rid of the planes, the flights, right? Mm-hmm. So they have the ability to go to uh, uh, 25 million men in their military, right? London is paranoid. The whole EU is paranoid because it is, it, at this point, it's just a game of chicken. Not going to lie, yeah, it kind of is. If we're smart. But, oh, good. I'd say if we're smart, we'll flinch first. If we're smart. But we look at what's happening. But not only that, I mean, look. I want to talk about him before we talk about his speech because I think something sinister is going on. I think something very sinister is going on. And here's why I think that. If you are president of the United States, you hold the highest position of power within the United States. Your voice, right, dictates policy. Right. Your voice dictates policy. Which means if you say it, that, that's why they have those broad uh, powers, right, to declassify stuff so that they can negotiate on the fly with world leaders, like with nuclear treaties and stuff like that, right? They have to be able to have access to this information. Four times Biden has said that he's willing to put troops in harm's way to defend Taiwan. And four times the White House has come out after that and said, our policy has not changed. Which means either Biden is absolutely so dipshit delusional that they should use the 25th Amendment to remove him from power immediately, or somebody else is running the White House. In which case, the whole conspiracy theory of the deep state or the shadow government is entirely true. Like, I know it happened with Trump, right? Where the White House would go, no, 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 that mean tweet that he sent, he didn't actually mean it, right? I get that they did it with Syria when they sit here and he said, I want to pull the troops out. And they said, we can't. They lied to him, right? But they didn't directly contradict something that he said that set policy. They have multiple times contradicted something he said. My latest and greatest one, or the latest and greatest one, is the pandemic is over. 
He said that. Right. And then everybody the went. is over. Yeah. And then everybody else freaked out. Do you know why they freaked out? Because they still have policies on the book that grant them emergency powers. They're still. New York, the same day he made that statement. The same day he made that statement. 850 teachers were fired in New York for refusing to take the jab. But the pandemic is over. Yep. If that's true, why are you still kicking military members out for not taking the jab? If that's true, why do we need why do we need the student debt payoff program? The the source that they use was implied uh, was was given to them by the Heroes Act, which said that if you were in the military and you were serving, you could sit here and you could get part of your student debt paid off because you're fighting for our country and you may not, you know, you know, bad shit could happen, right? Or you may be out of contact, right? That kind of stuff. Right. right. That's why the Heroes Act, they twisted it to say, well, we're in a state of emergency because of the pandemic. Therefore, we should grant $10,000 in student loan. If the pandemic is over, they need to scrap that program immediately. You have to pay your student. You, they're going to have to anyhow. It's going to be found unconstitutional. But, right. but they should automatically just put the kibosh on it right now. All all governors who have given themselves emergency powers need to be stripped of it immediately. And if they refuse to surrender it, they should be arrested because the pandemic is over. I know you had all these people that come out, but Biden is the ultimate authority when it comes to making those types of statements for policy for the federal government. If he says the pandemic is over, the pandemic is over. I know, I know, you get that dipshit who said, what's his name, fucking Fauci, Fraudchi, whatever, right? who said, no, we're not quite as far along as the president had led on. We're still losing a 9-11 every week. Okay. Okay, can I, can I say something, though? Pops, you're the one that made this statement. Like, I had never been able to put it in words. But one of the first conversations that we had, you made a statement to me that once government obtains power it never relinquishes it correct and, and that's still a true statement i'm yeah. I, I i'm being hyperbolic i well, understand yeah, they're but, never well no i was gonna say if you all th- like if anyone any of these stupid cutards liberals anybody i don't give a fuck if any of you morons think that they're gonna give up the power that they have now you're you're dumber than I thought, dumber than I gave you credit for, because they're never going to let that go because they have the power and you are willing to give it to them. Yeah. Look All at right. Whitmer. Did you see you see some of the right. stuff that Whitmer's done and, and the New York governor? Yeah, they're not going to give it up. Hell no. I'll be surprised if they even have an election again. Mm-mm. So I'm looking for Biden's speech. Oh God, you're not going to actually play it, are you? I don't have to. Well, you can't. I mean, I want to, but just, just, just warn me so no. I can put my brain in ignoring no. mode. Okay, okay, I won't play it. I won't play it. But How there's still. So- uh, I couldn't remember. On. Like, I don't mind letting people listen to it. It, it just uh, to show how in clinically insane. We could it is. tear it apart. Yeah, let's do it. 
All right. Now, see, now you're talking my language. It is 30 minutes long. Can we listen to it at three times speed? He does. I, I can only do one and a half times and still oh. be able to understand it. Oh. Hold well. on. Oh, they cut that part. Hold on. They cut all the, 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 the juicy parts out, huh? Probably. Uh, hold on. There is a guy that I listen to. Uh, Kagan? Keegan? The one I linked. Right. Kagan? He does a hilarious uh, breakdown before and end, but I want to see if I can find his... Because he didn't cut it out. It was like from beginning to end. I'll just skip the part where he's talking and we can all listen to the speech. Thank you. <laughs> No, I'd rather listen to Keegan talk than Biden's speech. All right, let's go. We will share. Share screen. All right, this is his speech. You really want me to speed it up? Ah, do it. Do what we need to. Right, I'll do it at one and a half times speed. Here we go. Let's see if we get an escort out. See if maybe Jill's with him. Who knows? Here he comes, walking up. Thank you, Mr. President, Mr. Secretary General, my fellow leaders. In the last year, our world has experienced great upheaval, A growing crisis in food insecurity, record heat, floods, and droughts, COVID nineteen inflation, and a brutal, needless war. A war chosen by one man, to be very blunt. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor. Remember how I told you earlier that he wants to kick Russia out. But he also wants to increase the permanent members of the Security Council that have veto powers, and he'll tell you why. Try not to laugh. Attempting to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Again, just today, President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe in a reckless disregard for the responsibility <laughs> of the non-proliferation regime. Now, Russia is calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight, and the Kremlin is organizing a sham referendum to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely significant violation of the UN Charter. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened. But no one threatened Russia. And no one other than Russia sought conflict. Bullshit. Anyhow, sorry. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. In fact, we warned it was coming. And with many of you, we worked to try to avert it. 
Putin's own words make his true purpose unmistakable. Just before he invaded, Putin asserted, and I quote, Ukraine. Now, I think it's coming. He said, I quote, right? But watch this. Ukraine was created by Russia and never had, quote, real statehood. And now we see attacks on schools, railway stations, hospitals, one on centers of Ukrainian history and culture. In the past, even more horrifying evidence of Russia's atrocity and war crimes. Mass graves uncovered in Izium. Bodies, according to those um, excavated those bodies, showing signs of torture. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple. And Ukraine's right to exist as a people. Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you believe, that should not, that should make your blood run cold. That's why 141 nations in the General Assembly came together and to unequivocally condemn Russia's war against Ukraine. The United States has marshaled massive levels of security assistance and humanitarian aid and direct economic support for Ukraine. More than $25 billion to date. Our allies and partners around the world have stepped up as well. And today... So I have a question about that number, right? Every time somebody talks about how much we've spent, do they forget the $41 billion that we started with? Or is that $25 billion in just weapons? And is that this month? Because we've sent them almost a billion dollars 21 times or more, right? 21 times. Did somebody come in or out? In. Yep. Oh. oh, my bad. Okay, back we go. I'm here. Okay. More than 40 countries represented in here have contributed billions of their own money and equipment to help Ukraine defend itself. Okay. United States. What? This is also working closely with our allies and partners to impose costs on Russia to deter attacks against NATO territory, to hold Russia accountable for the atrocities and war crimes. Because if nations can pursue their imperial ambitions without consequences, then we put at risk everything this very institution stands for. Everything. Every victory won in the battlefield belongs to the courageous Ukrainian soldiers. But this past year, the world was tested as well. And we did not hesitate. We chose liberty. We chose sovereignty. We, cho we chose principles to which every party of the United Nations Charter is beholding. We stood with Ukraine. Like you, the United States wants this war to end on just terms, on terms we all signed up for. But you cannot seize a nation's territory by force. The only country standing in the way of that is Russia. So we, each of us in this body, who is determined to uphold the principles and beliefs we pledge to defend as members of the United Nations, must be clear, firm, and unwavering in our resolve. Ukraine has the same rights that belong to every sovereign nation. We will stand in solidarity with Ukraine. We will stand in solidarity against Russia's aggression, period. Now, it's no secret that in the contest between democracy and autocracy, the United States and I as president champion a vision for our world that's grounded in the values of democracy. The United States is determined to defend and strengthen democracy at home and around the world, because I believe democracy remains humanity's greatest instrument to address the challenges of our time. We're working with the G7 and like-minded countries to prove democracies can deliver for their citizens, but also deliver for the rest of the world as well. But as we meet today, the UN Charter, the UN Charter's very basis of a stable and just rule-based order is under attack by those who wish to tear it down or distort it for their own political advantage. And the United Nations Charter was not only signed by democracies of the world, it was negotiated among citizens, dozens of nations, with vastly different histories and ideologies, united in their commitment to 
work for peace. As President Truman said in 1945, the UN Charter, and I quote, is proof that nations like men can state their differences, can face them, and then can find common ground on which to stand, end of quote. He did say end of quote, right? Yeah. That common ground was so straightforward, so basic, that today 193 of you, 193 member states have willingly embraced his principles. And standing up for those principles for the UN Charter is the job of every responsible member state. I reject the use of violence and war to conquer nations or expand borders through bloodshed, to stand against global politics of fear and coercion, to defend the sovereign rights of smaller nations as equal to those of larger ones, to embrace basic principles like freedom of navigation, respect for international law, and arms control, no matter what else we may disagree on. Pay very close attention to what he's saying. Because this, he's giving you what they planned. Nowhere does he mention a constitution that we have that protects arms. He's literally went straight to arms control. <laughs> that is the common ground upon which we must stand. If you're still committed to a strong foundation for the good of every nation around the world, the United States wants to work with you. I also believe the time has come for this institution to become more inclusive so that we can better respond to the needs of today's world. Members of the UN Security Council, including the United States, should consistently uphold and defend the UN Charter and refrain, refrain from use of the veto, except in rare, extraordinary situations, to ensure that the Council remains credible and effective. That is also why the United States supports increasing the number of both permanent and non-permanent representatives of the Council. This includes permanent seats for those nations we've long supported and permanent seats for countries in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. The United States is committed to this vital work. In every region, we pursued new, constructive ways to work with partners to advance shared interests, from elevating the Quad in the Indo-Pacific to signing the Los Angeles Declaration of Migration and Protection at the Summit of the Americas, to joining a historic meeting of nine Arab leaders. To Can we send them to Martha's Vineyard now? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> too soon? <laughs> never. Never too soon. Okay. Work toward a more peaceful, integrated Middle East, hosting the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in this December. As I said last year, the United States is opening an era of relentless diplomacy to address the challenges that matter most to people's lives, all people's lives. Tackling climate crisis, as the previous speaker spoke to. Strengthening global health security. Feeding the world. Feeding the world. We made that priority, and one-year leader were keeping that promise. From the day I came to office, we've led with bold climate agenda. We rejoined the Paris Agreement, convened the major climate summits, helped deliver critical agreements on the COP26. We helped get two-thirds of the world's GDP on track to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And now, even though it's going to kill billions when they freeze to death. Great. By the way, China just uh, just announced that they plan to increase their coal production within their own country 300%. Now, I signed a historic piece of legislation here in the United States that includes the biggest, most important climate commitment we have ever made in the history of our the Inflation Reduction Act. That's what he's talking about. Doesn't lower inflation. It's just a green jobs. And if you, he doesn't mention it by name. But if you listen to the numbers he gives, it'll tell you. Our country, $369 billion toward climate change. That includes tens of billions in new investments in offshore wind and solar. Doubling down on zero emission vehicles. Increasing energy efficiency. Supporting clean manufacturing. Our Department of Energy estimates that this new law will reduce U.S. emissions by one gigaton a year by 2030. 
while unleashing a new era of clean energy powered economic growth. Our investments will also help reduce the cost of developing clean energy technologies worldwide, not just in the United States. <clears throat> this is a global game changer, and none too soon we don't have much time. We all know we're already living in the climate crisis. No one seems to doubt it after this past year. So, let yeah, never mind. We'll talk about it later. I was going to say, let's talk about the climate crisis. Let's talk about the fact that we have 52 volcanoes that were erupting in this time last year. La Palma, the no, no. Tonga the let's, eruption. Let's just talk about the, the Tonga eruptions in the last 72 hours. Uh, it erupted eight times in the last 48 hours. Okay. So... That eruption probably has done more if it, when they figure it out, though. Usually it does, but it probably has done more to affect the climate than three decades of, uh, of, of humans on the planet. Yes. In what, it, a matter of minutes? The first yeah, yeah. The, the water. Okay. So this is the way it works is that when a volcanic eruption spews ash, it usually causes a cooling effect, right? Usually, because there's always those oddballs, right? But a large water explosion, like the Tonga, throws water vapor into the air and increases heat. Gee, for the next 10 years, which I think is funny because it's like they planned it. When they said we only have, you know, in 2020, when they were trying to get Trump out of office, they said we only have 12 years till the end of the world. 2022, Tonga erupts. They're going to have 10 years of increased heat. Because of the water vapor in the air. Great. All right. Moving on. We meet. We meet. Much of Pakistan. We meet. Much of Pakistan is still underwater. Needs help. Meanwhile, the Horn of Africa faces unprecedented drought. How about Kentucky, jackass? How about Mississippi that still doesn't have drinkable water? Ah, everybody else, right? Families are facing impossible choices. Choosing right. which child to feed. And wondering whether they'll survive. This is the human cost of climate change. And it's growing, not lessening. So as I announced last year, to meet our global responsibility, my administration is working with our Congress to deliver more than $11 billion a year. $11 billion more dollars that could be used to help Americans. Or we could not spend it and therefore not fuck ourselves later. International climate finance. To help lower-income countries implement the climate goals and ensure... We're going to send $11 billion to lower-income countries. To implement, uh, to implement the climate agenda. And just energy transition. The key part of that will be our PEPFAR plan, which will help half a billion people, and especially vulnerable countries, adapt to the impacts of climate change and build resilience. This need is enormous. So let this be the moment we find within ourselves the will to turn back the tide of climate devastation, the devastation and unlock a resilient, sustainable, clean energy economy to preserve our planet. On global health, we've delivered more than 620 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine to 116 countries around the world, with more available to help meet the country's needs. All free of charge, no strings attached, and we're working closely with the G20 and other countries in the United States to help lead the change to establish a groundbreaking new fund for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response at the World Bank. At the same time, wait, 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 hold on, pause. During global health challenge. All right, so that that pandemic team. Guess who it's led by? Uh, no idea. Bill Gates. Why does that just not surprise me? Just 
Just thought I'd throw it out there since he didn't say it. Challenges. Later today, I'll host the seventh replenishment conference for the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. With bipartisan support in our Congress, I have pledged to contribute up to $6 billion to that effort. So I look forward to welcoming $6 billion to another one. Historic round of pledges at the conference, resulting in one of the largest. I don't think we're the United States of America as a country anymore. I think we're the United States of America Bank. U.S. Bank? Yeah, I mean, we're 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 literally just gi- giving them everything. We've already given well, Ukraine uh, and Taiwan uh, our weapons. We're giving them all of our money. <laughs> it's the whole time that our our own people are suffering. Yep. FEMA doesn't have enough money to help. They already pulled boots off the ground looking for for missing people in Kentucky, um, Mississippi. Is that is it Mississippi that it still yeah. has no water? Yeah. Uh, how many other places do we know that have been either on fire or, or some or flooded or any other kind? But we don't have money. We don't have money to take care of our border on our southern border to protect our own nation. But we have money to send out to protect somebody else's fucking border. Oh wait, how about this one? This speech was given today, right? Mm-hmm. Let let that sink in. It was it was given today. We already know that Puerto Rico has literally been wiped clean. There is no power in Puerto Rico. They have no water. The entire country's grid is gone. Not one mention. Global health fundraisers ever held in all history. We're also taking down the food crisis head on. With as many as 193 million people around the world experience acute, acute food insecurity. A jump of 40 million in a year. Today, I'm announcing another $2.9 billion in U.S. support for life-saving humanitarian and food security assistance for this year alone. Russia, in the meantime, is pumping out lies, trying to pin the blame for the crisis, the food crisis, on the sanctions imposed. I guess we shouldn't have blown up their grain chips then, huh? Hmm. By many in the world for the aggression against Ukraine. So let me be perfectly clear about something. Our sanctions explicitly allow, explicitly allow, Russia, the ability to export food and fertilizer. No limitation. It's Russia's war. Why would they do that, jackass? You took their money away. You had them use the U.S. dollar, and then you yanked it from them. And he did it today. They sit here, and they were... We at first we sit here and told them that they couldn't use American dollars to pay their own debt, so they went into default. Today they decide that they're going to seize Russian money around the world if it's in U.S. dollars. Why would anybody do business with the United States? They shouldn't. Exactly. There's worsening food insecurity, and only Russia can end it. I'm grateful for the work here at the UN, including your leadership, Mr. Secretary General, establishing a mechanism to export grain from black sea ports in Ukraine that Russia had blocked for months. And we need to make sure it's extended. We believe strongly in the need to feed the world. That's why the United States is the world's largest supporter of the World Food Program, with more than 40% of its budget. We're leading support, we're leading support of the UNICEF efforts to feed children around the world. And to take on a larger challenge of food insecurity, the United States introduced a call to action a roadmap eliminating global food insecurity to eliminating global food insecurity. 
that more than 100 nation member states have already supported. In June, the G7 announced more than $4.5 billion to strengthen food security around the world through USAID's Feed the Future initiative. The United States is scaling up innovative ways to get drought and heat-resistant seeds into the hands of farmers who need them. Improving fertilizer and improving fertilizer efficiency so that farmers can grow more while using less. Then explain to me why there are nations all around the world that are part of the UN that are limiting the amount of fertilizer that their citizens can use so that you can seize the land and give it to the global initiative. Explain to me how the gardening initiative in the United States is being used to collect information on citizen gardeners so that you can collect it later. By putting them on a database. Explain to me how that works. Yes. And we're calling on all countries to refrain from banning food exports <clears throat> or hoarding grain while so many people are suffering. Because in every country in the world, no matter what else divides us, if parents cannot feed their children, nothing, nothing else matters if parents cannot feed their children. As we look to the future, we're working with our partners to update and create rules of the road for new challenges we face in the 21st century. We launched the Trade Technology Council with the European Union to ensure that key technologies, key technologies are developed and governed in the way that benefits everyone. With our partner countries and through the UN, we're supporting and strengthening the norms of responsibility, responsible state behavior in cyberspace, and working to hold accountable those who use cyber attacks to threaten international peace and security. With partners in the Americas, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, and the Indo-Pacific, to build a new economic ecosystem uh, where every nation, every nation gets a fair shot and economic growth is resilient, sustainable, and shared. That's why the United States has championed the global minimum tax, and we will work to see it implemented so major corporations pay their fair share every I don't even. This dude is a moron. <laughs> Equitability! Everywhere. Everywhere. It's also been the idea behind the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which the United States launched this year with 13 other Indo-Pacific economies. We're working with our partners in ASEAN, in the Pacific Islands to support a vision for a critical Indo-Pacific region that is free and open, connected and prosperous, secure and resilient. Together with partners around the world, we're working to secure resilient supply chains to protect everyone from coercion or domination and ensure that no country can use energy as a weapon. And as Russia's war rolls, riles the global economy, we're also calling on major global creditors, including the non-Paris Club countries, to transparently negotiate debt forgiveness for lower-income countries. Yes, give away our money so that lower income countries can can get loan forgiveness. He's really good at that debt forgiveness thing, huh? Yeah, for everyone else but Americans. Right. For so wait, we're going to take on the debt for everyone in the world but us? Fuck you, why not? We're just going to wait until we get all the debt and then we'll drop the dollar and in, and pick up the digital currency. Oh, wait, that's later. Broader economic and political crisis around the world. Instead of infrastructure projects to generate huge and large debt without delivering on the promised advantages, let's meet the enormous infrastructure needs around the world with transparent investments, high standard projects that protect the rights of workers and the environment, key to the needs of the communities they serve, not to the contributor. That's why the United States, together with fellow G7 partners, launched a partnership for global infrastructure and investment. We intend to collectively mobilize $600 billion in investment through this partnership. I swear he just makes up fucking numbers. Like he done spent... Millions. Well, he's over... No, that was KGP. 
No, he's already spent fucking a trillion dollars in this fucking speech alone. Oh, shit. By 2027. Dozens of projects are already underway. Industrial-scale vaccine manufacturing in Senegal. Transformative solar projects in Angola. First of its kind, small modular nuclear power plant in Romania. These are investments that are going to deliver returns, not just for those countries, but for everyone. Wait, so Romania can have a nuclear power plant, but we can't in the United States? Hmm. I guess the Green Deal only applies here, right? It does. Punish Americans. The United States will work with every nation, including our competitors, to solve global problems like climate change. Climate diplomacy is not a favor to the United States or any other nation. And walking away hurts the entire world. Let me be direct about the competition between the United States and China. As we manage shifting geopolitical trends, the United States will conduct itself as a reasonable leader. We do not seek conflict. We do not seek a Cold War. We do not ask any nation to choose between the United States or any other partner. But the United States will be unabashed in promoting our vision of a free, open, secure, and prosperous world and what we have to offer communities and nations. Investments that are designed not to foster dependency, but to alleviate burdens and help nations become self-sufficient. Partnerships not to create political obligation, but because we know our own success, each of our successes increased when other nations succeed as well. When individuals have the chance to live in dignity, and develop their talents. Everyone benefits. Critical to that is living up to the highest goals of this institution, increasing peace and security for everyone, everywhere. The United States will not waver in our unrelenting determination to counter and thwart the continuing terrorist threats to our world. And we will lead with our diplomacy to strive for a peaceful resolution of conflict. We seek to uphold peace and stability across the Taiwan Straits. We remain committed to our one China policy, which has helped prevent conflict for four decades. And we continue to oppose unilateral changes in the status quo by either side. Well, hold on. We support we support the one China, but one China demands that Taiwan return back to China. Yep. But we're sending troops to, Ch- to Taiwan to prevent China from taking Taiwan. Don't forget, we also he sent makes- we also sent five point five billion dollars worth of weapons. He makes my brain hurt. We're not done yet. Oh. An African Union-led peace process to end the fighting in Ethiopia, restore security for all its people in Venezuela. For years of political oppression have driven more than 6 million people from that country. Speaking of Venezuela, they just opened up their prisons and sent them to the United States. Merry Christmas. We urge the Venezuelan-led dialogue and return to free and fair elections. We continue to stand with our neighbor in Haiti as it faces political fuel gang violence and an enormous human crisis. You're going to ask Hillary to give the money back? We call on the world to do the same. We have more to do. We'll continue to back the U.N mediated truce in Yemen, which has delivered precious months of peace to people that have suffered years of war. And we will continue to advocate for lasting negotiating peace between the Jewish and democratic state of Israel and the Palestinian people. The United States is committed to Israel's security full stop. And a negotiated two-state solution remains, in our view, the best way to ensure Israel's security and prosperity for the future and give the Palestinians the state which, to which they are entitled. Both sides to fully respect the equal rights of their citizens. Both people enjoying equal measure of freedom and dignity. What was it that Benjamin Netanyahu said? He said that if you want to achieve peace, there is only one way. If the Arabs laid down their guns, there would be peace that same day. But if Israel laid down its guns, there would be no Israel that same day. Right. Let me also urge every nation to recommit to strengthening the nuclear non-proliferation regime through diplomacy. 
no matter what else is happening in the world, the United States is ready to pursue critical arms control measures. A nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. The five permanent members of the Security Council just reaffirmed that commitment in January. But today, we're seeing disturbing trends. Russia shunned the non-proliferation proliferation, proliferation ideals embraced by every other uh, medicine starting to wear off. nation at the 10th NPT Review Conference. And again today, as I said... More caffeine, more ginkgo. ...threats to use nuclear weapons. Well, hold on, motherfucker. You threatened to use fucking nuclear weapons. You did it first, jackass. You're the one who said that if there was a leak from the nuclear reactor that Ukraine was bombing, you would blow them up with nuclear weapons. Right? You said that you would move heaven and earth to make sure that Ukraine wins. Liz Truss said, the UK Prime Minister said that she would push the nuclear button. The Finland President said that she would push the fucking button. But Russia's the bad guy in this? Ha! Funny how that works. China's conducting an unprecedented concerning nuclear buildup without any transparency. Because it's fucking China, jackass. Ask Hunter. Despite our efforts to begin seriously to change diplomacy. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea continues to blatantly violate UN sanctions. And while the United States is prepared for a mutual return to the joint comprehensive plan of action, if Iran steps up to its obligations, the United States is clear. We will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. They already have them. Why do you think they're working with Russia? (laughs) Can I point out that I think it's funny that it's okay for Ukraine to have a nuke, but not, not Iran? Ukraine will turn on us just as quickly as Iran would be. Ukraine can't have nukes. They cannot. It's part of their treaty. If they were, if a nuke was to show up in Ukraine as and not owned by Russia, Russia would nuke Ukraine. That was part of the deal. And they, if they break that one, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I continue to believe that diplomacy is the best way to achieve this outcome. The non-proliferation regime is one of the greatest successes of this institution. We cannot let the world now slide backwards, nor can we turn a blind eye to the erosion of human rights. Ah, uh, here we go. Here's where he starts to get around to, to alienate. Uh, he, he forgets that America is not the morality of the rest of the world. And you're about to find out why. Perhaps singular among this body's achievements stands the Universal Declaration of Human Rights which is the standard by which our forebears challenged us to measure ourselves. They made clear in 1948, human rights are the basis for all that we seek to achieve. And yet today in 2022, fundamental freedoms are at risk in every part of our world. From the violations of Xinjiang, detailed recent reports by the Office of UN and U.S. reports detailing by the U.S. High Commissioner, to the horrible abuses against pro-democracy activists and ethnic minorities by the military regime in Burma, to the increased repression of women and girls, by the Taliban in Afghanistan. <laughs> by the what? By, he said, the, the, the suppression of women and girls by the Taliban in Afghanistan. You know, where we left $85 billion worth of fucking equipment so that they can terrorize the women and children. And today, we stand with 
the brave citizens and the brave women of Iran. The women of Iran. Who are cutting their hair off right now? Yeah. Who right now are demonstrating to secure their basic rights. Oh, there it is. Do you see him? <laughs> That's the Iran guy. I can't wait to nuke him. The great Satan will die. <laughs> but here's what I know. The future will be won by those countries that unleash the full potential of their populations. Where women and girls can exercise equal rights. Did he okay. Just that, did he just say that the, the future will be won by these countries, the ones that want to kill us, if they just no, release? That, that unlock the full potential of their population, which means they don't they don't uh, cut anybody out. Hold on, it gets better. Wait, wait, wait. Here's political definitions. Uh, <laughs> Your definition of better is not the same as mine. Hold on. Wait, wait. We'll just okay. wait. Including basic reproductive rights and contribute fully to building a stronger economies. Reproductive rights. In the United States, you can make an argument for reproductive rights, pro or against abortion. The rest of the world, that's not a thing. And more resilient societies. Religious and ethnic minorities can live their lives without harassment. <laughs> Most of the conflict in the Middle East is Sunni and Shiite. <laughs> Sorry. The fabric of their communities. We're the LGBTQ plus community. <laughs> he has, he, oh, my God. <laughs> you mean... <laughs> I believe I can fly. Moving on. Individuals live in love freely without being targeted with violence. <laughs> oh, oh I guess I guess kicking them off of off of rooftops or strapped to chairs or dragging them behind cars or chaining them up and beating them with stones until they die is not violence. Good to know. I like that. I like that we can use that here in the United States. Uh not not for No, LGBT this speech for is pedophiles. written for an American audience. It is not made for an international audience. No, this is what I was telling you. He has no idea what the fuck he is reading or who the audience he is reading it to. The United States, the only pro-LGBTQ country, right, in the Middle East is Israel. And you told them to cut themselves in half in, a, in sake of peace. Okay, let's keep going. Where citizens can question and criticize their leaders without fear of reprisal. Really, motherfucker? Do I need to bring up your dark Brandon speech? Criticize your government. If you don't listen to us, our DSM-5 says that nonconformity is a mental deficiency. That if you don't believe us, we'll label you as false information, label you a maggot, and a Christian nationalist, and then accuse you of being a domestic terrorist. Yeah, that, that sounds like uh, perfect with that we can question and criticize our government. The United States will always promote human rights and the values enshrined in the UN Charter in our own country and around the world. Let me end with this. This institution, guided by the UN Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, is at its core an act of dauntless hope. Let me say that again. It's an act of dauntless hope. Think about the vision 
of those first delegates undertook a seemingly oh uh, okay here's the one that pisses off the muslim population and i'm not talking about the muslim population of the united states i'm talking about the overwhelming majority of muslims in the middle east who hate israel is coming up possible task while the world was still smoldering think about how divided the people of the world must have felt with the fresh grief of millions dead the genocidal horrors of the holocaust there it is. They had every right to believe only the worst of humanity. Instead, they reached for what was best in all of us, and they strove to build something better. Enduring peace, comity among nations, equal rights for every member of the human family, cooperation for the advancement of all humankind. My fellow leaders, the challenges we face today are great indeed, but our capacity is greater. Our commitment must be greater still. So let's stand together to again declare the unmistakable resolve that nations of the world are united still, that we stand for the values of the UN Charter, that we still believe by working together we can bend the arc of history toward a freer and more just world for all our children, although none of us have fully achieved it. We're not passive witnesses to history. We are the authors of history. We can do this. We have to do it for ourselves and for our future, for humankind. Thank you for tolerance for listening to me. I appreciate it very much. Tolerance for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> Thank you for not stoning me. <laughs> so, that's the whole speech. What do you think? <laughs> so, so you had Putin's speech, then you had Biden's speech. Then you had all of the people, all of the EU leaders saying, I fuck Biden, or not, sorry. There's that too, but fuck Putin, right? And then you have China. Let me read you their statement. Hold on. Let me. We call on the parties to implement a ceasefire through dialogue and consultation and find a solution that addresses the legitimate security concerns of all parties as soon as possible. <laughs> Please don't nuke each other. That, that's what I'm hearing. So then you have, right, Poland and England and Finland and America that are saying we will not recognize the result of the referendums of Russia on the lands of Kiev. They already say it's going to fail. Unfortunately, if you say that, the Americans or the Russians are going to say, hey, we told you this is, this is it. Now, because I know that th this will be the last story that we do for today. Because uh, we're already in an hour. Because the jackass took so long to talk. Even at one and a half times. <laughs> right? <laughs> you could hear the medication wear off, though. Yeah. So, all right. So, we're going to do... There was a... Uh, on state television in Russia. Right? Okay. So, he makes... Since I know that you don't care... That's why I'm including this story, right? Okay. A reporter in Russia State Television, Olga, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name, 
declared that Russia should have nuked Queen Elizabeth's funeral since senior leaders were in Britain for the funeral. <laughs> no! <laughs> a favorite, this announcer is a favorite of Putin and married to a Russian politician made the chilling statement on Monday night, hours after the Queen Elizabeth's funeral. The 37-year-old journalist was talking to guests about when and where her country could use its nukes when she said, we should have done it today. The best people are in Britain for the funeral. That would have solved a lot of problems. Why bomb? So, so it continues. There, there's more to the conversation. Why bomb Ukraine and Germany when Britain is there? The Russian journalist made the comment in response to the guest Andrei Gurulev's retired general and current member of parliament who rejected claims that Russia would strike Ukraine. We have many goals, said the Russian general, and he added, why should we bomb Ukraine or Germany when there is Britain, the root of evil? The UK could be bleached and turned into a Mars wasteland with just a small number of Russian strikes. Yeah, one. One. That's all it would have taken. One. God save the queen. Boom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, look, I'm not going to, I'm not belittling a, a nuclear strike, but the first thing that would go through my brain if they had actually bombed the queen's funeral is, God damn, Diana, you should have waited at least till she got to the gates. I told you I didn't <laughs> give a damn about the queen. <laughs> I haven't cared about the Queen since 1776, bitches. Although a nuclear weapon definitely would have made me care for about 30 seconds before I realized, <laughs> oh, we're all fucked. <laughs> for about the 30 seconds it would take me to look at it, blink my eyes, and go, well, so bug out. <laughs> we're fucked. Yep, yep, yep. So, there are other news stories, but those are the most relevant for today. Hopefully, we're... Oh, wait, I forgot. Just so you know, there is a... You know, my uh, my uh, live UA map in yeah. Syria. Yeah. In Syria. We have a breakout of cholera. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because it's like one of the first times that I've ever seen the biohazard symbol on the map. Oh, no. No, no. Hold on. I want to talk about something. We we can get into it probably in more detail tomorrow, but I'd like to mention that it's a special kind of heinous human being. A 40-year-old man running over a teenager due to his political affiliation. And there's only one group to fucking blame for it. Biden. Yep. Like when you look at the kid and you look at the guy that ran him over, okay, I'm sorry, but I didn't realize that 40 year old, like you could be built like that and be a bitch. Now, somebody goes, well, it was a crime of passion. It's like, how can it be passion if he actually called his mother twice running away from this guy? This is yeah. premeditated. The guy literally went. 
The guy literally made up his mind to kill this bastard for no other reason than he was a Republican. They had a disagreement over politics. Here, a 40-year-old fucking man, you couldn't win an argument against a 19-year-old? Go fuck yourself. And get a refund on the goddamn college education that you had to pay for. I saw that, and I've been seeing a lot more videos about it and a lot more in-depth. You, you want to hear the most infuriating thing about it to me? Sure. The most infuriating thing. He argued against the bail, right? And his Because he had a family. Argue, the reason he argued is because he had a family he wanted to get back to. Oh, fuck, uh, fuck the 19-year-old, right? Just, just fuck him. Only you matter. Jesus Christ. So, tomorrow... Let's talk about tribalism and the dangers that it brings. I think that's fair. And I'll bring, hopefully we won't have fucking World War III. Okay. However, if the referendum happens by the 23rd, that means that the 24th, any bombs fall, that would be the 24th day. Just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a, a rumor going around that the world's going to end on September 24th. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> I got a picture for you. They did the, they typed in September 24, 2022 into that AI painting thing. And almost every painting that comes up is this big glowing ball over a city. <laughs> I was like, well, well, wait, well, what's the computer know that we don't? Wait, hold on. Let me check what the predictions are for solar storms. 24th, we're looking at a elevated uh, solar storm from the 23rd to the 24th, so far. Uh, geomagnetic storm of level one. So, we're not looking at X class, but we're getting a lot of uh, new sunspots coming around, so. That will be in the face, so we'll find out well, as we get closer. I'll keep us updated. Oh, not to mention the fact that there's a possibility that we have a a uh, major hurricane in the Gulf at the time, too. Yeah, Fiona, you just got hit by Strex X. No, no, no. Fiona is going to miss the United States. Oh. This one will be called is some H name. Hold on. Uh, that was me shutting down. All right. So Hurricane Fiona is going to be a category four. Damn. When it hits. Uh, hold on. I don't know what it's going to be called. It's an H something. Well, since we can no longer, you know, since it's sexist, we're just going to call it, uh, uh, Haralita. I think it's not. Oh, shit. Um, I can't find it. It's a sign. <laughs> Uh, 
setup. Uh, tropical storm, Caribbean, hurricane. Not, no, it's not Gaston. Gaston's not, it's the H one. Well, I don't remember what the H is. <laughs> Can I just have the names, please? The Weather Channel is horrible. They have so many fucking ads, you know? I'm not paying the premium price. don't care. To learn what the temperature is outside. I'm in Florida. The temperature is always fucking hot. <laughs> hot. It was hot yesterday. It was hot today, but it was worse today, even though it was a little cooler than yesterday because there was so much fucking humidity. <laughs> right? It's going to be fucking hot. Hot. I breathe water. I need fucking gills. So, Cat4, Fiona, Forecastic, they don't care. It, because it's like eight days away. Before it hits. Uh, and the U.S. is being urged to track Did it. You, you know, funny, interesting, interesting factoid. I can't remember which hurricane it was, but it was a rather big one. They actually debated on dropping hydrogen bombs in the center of it to see if they could dissipate it. Yes. It's not like we don't already know that the United States is going to sit here and has is guilty of weather manipulation or anything. Oh, so here's what I want to talk about right before we leave. I know that we're kind of like, but I don't want to leave yet. So, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the normalcy bias of what's happening with the crazy shit that's going on. Right now we have people who don't give a shit that we're on the verge of nuclear war or even an expansion of actual war. So much so that the news isn't covering it. And uh, if they do, it's Putin is a moron or he's going to lose his country. He's going to lose. But the stock market didn't move at all based off of that. Now, oil did. Oil's going to go up real quick. But, but that's the speculation. So, tomorrow we will talk about tribalism, and hopefully I won't have a whole shit ton of war news so we can talk more about tribalism and why it's a bad thing. And holding all sides accountable for their actions. Oh, that's true. And there's going to be a slight disagreement tomorrow. I know that. No. You want to know why? I don't hmm. care enough. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, no, I, it's not. No, I agree with you on the tribalism and everything else like that. But the thing that we're going to disagree on is I, I, I feel like at this particular point in history, it's either kill or be killed. I don't think it matters. Well, that's because you're a hardliner. You're a hardliner on all hard lines. You don't have a soft, empathic side. You're just all hard lines. Everything oh. is a hard line for you. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to see one inch of ground in anything. 
Okay. Well, it's because that one of my favorite one of my favorite quotes is, um, "I'm not a good man. Good men do not need rules." Today is not a day to find out why I need those quote. Those quotes are not comparable. No, no. The reason why I like it is because to me, I look at it as so many people have held soft lines for so long, and they've given ground without ever retaking it. That somebody needs to stand and just be like, "No, no more. I will, I will break before I bend." I get it. I get it. I'm not faulting you for it. I'm just explaining what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Because right. I, I, I do disagree with you to some extent, but anyhow, we'll talk about that tomorrow. So, with that being said, thank you for joining us on another... I, I may bring him back up. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't want that fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, with that being said... <laughs> I'm an asshole. With that being said, thank you for joining us another episode of Winter's Call Podcast. I'm Odin. This is to you. Bye-bye! <laughs>